The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord God, we believe what we sang. That Lord, you are truly, you're the one who made all things and you call us friends. You invite us in times of mourning to lay on our breasts, on your breast, and to find comfort and peace. And Lord, we thank you as well that we connect with your resurrection power, with the power of the event that we believe changed things for all people in all times and in all places. And that when you conquered sin and death, that it changes the way that we live. You call us out of discouragement and fear into life and into hope. And so we pray today, God, as we open the scriptures together, that you would call us as a community into a time of reflection on who you are and who you made us to be. That you'd speak over us today your words of love and hope and encouragement. We pray all of this together. And we pray all of it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. I am uh, thrilled to be uh, in the place I love to be and get to teach you uh, today. I am, uh, have just driven in from uh, a weekend in Waco. I've gotten to do two consecutive weekends going to see my daughter perform at Baylor, and it's been a gift. Sometimes as a pastor, you miss out on way too much, and uh, I'm grateful that I didn't. I also drove in in the middle of the night, so hopefully my sermon is coherent. Uh, enough to, to follow. I, um, I also get a gift when I get to go see, now I'm gonna have two girls in Waco, uh, not only to see them, but if you've experienced this, wherever maybe you went to school or you have some history, you get to walk into a place um, and walk in the footsteps where your 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old self was so present. And there are clearly moments for me when I walk on that campus um, that I get to stand in places and go, what would my 21-year-old self say to me in this space? And, and if my 21-year-old self could know like what I get to do, all the good, bad, and the ugly of the things that I'm called to do, what would that 21-year-old think? And I generally can stand there and go, as hard and as difficult as it can be, it's a gift. And that I would go, I'd be all in on the life that God called me to, which I, I love. Now, what I do get the sense of when I stand there is, I wish that I had the insights in my 20s and 30s as to who I am and how God gifted me and some of the things that I see the world. I wish I had those a little earlier. Um, that, that would have been nice. And we come to a place, and that's part of what we're talking about today, is there are a number of seasons in the Christian life, uh, both in the church calendar and in our, our lives, that call us to introspection. And the hope is, at the end of that, we have a better sense of who we are, who God made us to be, and how we're to be a part of his work uh, in the world. And some of that is just getting to know who we are. And I've learned so many great tools. So uh, many of you will hear and hear us talk about uh, an ancient Christian tool to understand personalities called the Enneagram. And uh, it'd be a great thing for you to explore if you don't know anything about the Enneagram during Lent. Uh, but what I know with the Enneagram is I'm an eight. Eights uh, love to take charge and they love to protect the innocent and they wanna change the world. 
and uh, often you will have an attribute of one of the personality types that's close to you, and I care, uh, carry a lot of the same attributes as a seven. Sevens uh, want to have a blast all the time. Everything should be a party. And so what you ought to know about me is that my personality type is I want to change the world, and I want to make it a party while we change the world. Um, <laughs> And so it doesn't take long to be around Ecclesia and go, Chris doesn't just go feed the migrant caravan. He brings in mariachi bands and food trucks and makes it a party while we do it. It's just who I'm made to be. And uh, many years ago, and I'm, I'm grappling with, eights love to do things as well. So I'm, uh, after Easter, uh, our board has given me a three-month sabbatical. Ecclesia turned 20, and I get a three-month sabbatical. And I'm really excited about it. I also have some friends that are eights, uh, that have taken a sabbatical and they've just tried to do nothing and they've lost their ever-loving minds. Um, they're just not made to do it. So I'm gonna work on my Spanish. I've got some tasks that I wanna get done. And I've learned even just for a vacation, doing nothing can be really hard for me, just personally. It's how I'm made. Years ago, um, we, uh, our family would do whatever we could. I'd take any speaking jobs I could uh, to kind of make things work. And the days at Ecclesia couldn't really pay us a salary and Gratefully, God loves us so much that he gave me a consistent, sometimes three, four, five-week speaking job uh, overseas. It's in a very dark, difficult country, but I, because I love Jesus, I was willing to go. And so we spent uh, every summer for a number of years sometimes speaking in uh, the difficult nation of the Bahamas. It was hard, uh, but somebody had to do it, right? It literally was the moment where you're like, God must actually love me that we get to do this. And so we'd go over and I'd preach at this church and we had some great friends come over and say, hey, I know you're here and you're kind of working. We want to take you um, to one of these little family islands that we'd never been to before. It's hard to believe, but in the Bahamas, like, you know, the big island feels like the city. It's constantly moving. You go to these little islands, right? It's just totally different. And these friends said, we're coming and we're going to take you. And so we went to this little island called Abaco. And we had been there. Oh, man, we'd been there. It felt like not even an hour. We unpacked our bags. We made our way right down to the beach. Christian was a baby. I had Christian on my hip. And because I had my good friend went and he got me a drink. And I'm literally, my feet are in the water, a baby on my hip. I got a drink. And I'm literally like, this is where I'm going to be for a week. This is going to be beautiful. And we were not five minutes in. And, uh, and I hear screaming in the water. And, uh, and I turn around and I see a teenage girl who's screaming and there was blood in the water. And I literally, I threw my baby to my wife. She had gratefully caught him. And, um, and I kicked into lifeguard mode. I swam out to see what had happened. And this, uh, this little girl, we think maybe she had been trying to snorkel with some lunch meat to attract um, fish. And a little lemon shark just came and took a chunk out of her arm. And she was bleeding way too fast. And gratefully, I managed to pull her in. We got a towel around her. We slowed the bleeding some. The most advanced, um, you know, transportation on the island was a golf cart, right? They literally, they put her on a golf cart and they get her uh, to a place where they managed to fly her to the U.S. And uh, later that night at dinner, we got a phone call that just said, hey, she made it. She, her dad wanted to thank me for bring her in, thank you, and she's okay. She's gonna make it, and they got her sewed up. She didn't lose too much blood. Uh, the challenge was, that was our first day of seven days in this place, and you can imagine, this is a little island of the Bahamas. There's nothing else to do but eat lobster and sit on that beach, right? Which is a pretty great way to spend your time. 
Uh, but after uh, the trauma of the first day, it was like, how are we going to do this, right? So I'm an eight. I take over. I took over that part of the island. I put knives in the sand in different places, and I'd explain to families when they get, there was a shark thing that happened here, and this is what we're going to do. We got a plan. I got a knife here. You see a shark. We're going to go out, keep your eye on your kids. We had a whole strategy around it. And I was like, I'll protect your kids. You bring me drinks. That's how this is going to work. And we're all going to be fine. And every night was the only time we had uh, TV while we were there on the island. And it happened to be the week that Discovery Channel does Shark Week. So (laughs) I'd just go back to the room. You'd watch episodes. You'd get fired up for the next day to go protect the island. And for me, it actually wasn't a bad vacation because I had something to do, right? And to task my uh, life around because I'm an eight with a seven wing. I want to change the world and keep everybody safe and I want it to be uh, a party. Now I get into the season that I'm about to invite you into and I just got to tell you, there's nothing about my seven wing that gets really fired up about Lent. Um, I'm about to invite you to fast, to contemplate your sin and the areas that you need to grow. And it's one of the most meaningful things I'll ever do as a pastor. Um, But it's not the place that I go, this is gonna be a blast, right? And the truth is, Houston's actually a great city to talk about it in, because we got a lot of actually real Christian people that go, yeah, I'm not so good at Lent, I'm great at Mardi Gras. I can crush Mardi Gras, right? You go, that's the part of Lent I really appreciate. I do all that. I don't really fast from anything, but I crush it when it comes to the party. And, uh, and we don't think the party is a bad thing. But I do believe that a season of introspection and pause and rest and reflection and disruption from the routines that have become so normal for us that allow us to become self-centered without even actually having to realize it are really, really a good, uh, a good thing. And so today, I want to invite you, uh, as best I can, into that season of 40 days where we say, God, will you show me the areas that I need to grow? Now, part of the reason, there are a number of reasons I think this doesn't sound uh, fun to some of us. I think um, one of those is that uh, focusing on the places that we need to grow Um, has been painful for many of us for a number of reasons. And part of what I want to suggest to you today is that one of those reasons is that we have often lived in families and communities um, that haven't created a safe place for that kind of reflection. I I think there are two kind of communities. There are accusational communities and there are confessional communities. There are communities where um, people are constantly going, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you did this wrong. We're really good at pointing out the flaws of others. There are communities where grace is offered and where people have a space to figure out for themselves the places that they're broken and flawed and need to grow. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, uh, we started this church with every intention uh, of committing ourselves to being a confessional community, not an accusational community. And it's one of those places we have to continue to fight for uh, together. In accusational communities, there's a lot of blame, accusation, shame, and hiding. In confessional communities, people get to, and this is the hard part, right? So if you're in in family, you're in a a marriage, you're in a relationship, you have to come to the place that you first say to somebody, I accept you as you are. 
And that's hard to do because that means you have to be willing to accept someone as they are. It opens the possibility that they'll never change. And that's painful. And yet, what I would suggest to you is uh, when we move into, whether it's in a family or a church community or other environment that becomes accusational, I would suggest to you there's even less opportunity for healthy change. What happens in accusational communities is we focus on shame, and shame has never, I don't believe it's ever changed a single person. Now, shame and guilt are different things, right? Guilt will say, I did something wrong. Shame will say, I am wrong. Guilt will say, I did something bad. Shame will say, I'm bad, right? I, um, I got one of the most unique jobs. Uh, I've had a few really unique jobs, but when I was 16, uh, I got a, a, a unique job working for a man named Pete. Pete was a, um, a diabetic who was also an alcoholic in recovery. And Pete um, realized that for him to stay sober, he had to literally go to every meeting every day that he possibly could. And, and even when he wasn't in a meeting, he felt like he needed to be in a meeting. So he took the best technology of the little recorders we could find. And what he would do is uh, go and record the, some of the better talks that were offered at different AA meetings. And so at 16, he hired me to say, hey, I can't do all of these. Why don't you do these? And I would go. My job at 16 was to go to AA meetings and record the talks at an AA meeting. Now, I got to tell you, I grew up in Christian communities that I would describe as accusational communities. Everybody was really good at accusing other people of being wrong. And I stepped into an AA meeting for the first time and I found out what it felt like to be a part of a confessional community where there was space created for people to go, hey, we love you just like you are. I watch people show up for their first meeting and get a sponsor, could hear a sponsor say, hey, no matter how many times you screw up, I'm your sponsor. I'm with you. I'm gonna walk with you. And I thought, I've never seen anything like that in the church. And I thought in those moments, I wanna be a part of a church like that. What I learned was, and those environments where you said, it seems so counterintuitive to us. I will accept you even if you backslide and you go drink next week. I will love you. You would think our intuition tells us, well, that will create an environment where people abuse that. And it's just the opposite, actually. It's in that unconditional love that we begin to thrive. And so, Ecclesia, as we enter into Lent, I think one of the reasons we refrain from it is that we think, well, when we deal with our own stuff, that means dealing with our own stuff with a bunch of people going, hey, listen, look at your stuff. And that's the exact opposite of what Lent is. Nobody, none of you are entering into Lent so that you can figure out the sinfulness of the people that are sitting on your row. You won't be able to do that and you won't do it well. And if you do it, you're going to be totally out of line. In fact, what you have to do if you want to live in a confessional community is you have to do some things that you work hard to protect what it means to be a part of a confessional community. And that means when people come and they have accusations, Sean did a great job of sharing this with you last week and just reminding you, like, the Bible's been really clear about what it looks like to live in a confessional community. And that means that when we have conflict and issues, there's just really good ways to deal with it. And, and that literally, if somebody comes to you and, and is accusing someone of something, you literally, you got a few things you need to do. One is you go, hey, 
did you actually see that happen? And they go, no, no, I just heard it happen. You go, well, that's gossip. I don't have any place for it. Like, I don't, I don't need to hear it. If they say, yeah, I heard that happen. Then you go, hey, you don't need to be talking to me about that. You need to go talk to the person that has actually hurt you. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. And anything that deviates from that enters into this place where we start going, and it feels really good. There's a part of us that just loves gossip. All you got to do is just check out at a grocery store, right? And realize we like to gossip about people we don't even know. We don't even know them and we like to gossip about them. And there's something in our DNA that just goes, that feels good. But this is what you need to know. That gossip may not be, you may not have the bullseye on you at that particular moment, but if you live in an accusational community, it will come around to you. And we've just said at Ecclesia, that's not the kind of community we wanna be a part of. I wanna be a part of a confessional community that invites people to look at their own sin, look at their own brokenness. And Lent is the perfect season to do that. It's the perfect season because we believe that the event we're preparing for is the most important event in the history of the world. So much so that the church calendar set out so that every day, every year we would have a day that we would celebrate it. Now this is the reality. When you have the most important event in history, which means as we celebrate it, it's the most important event that we'll celebrate over the course of the year. You don't just out of the blue celebrate it on that day. It would be like deciding you're gonna have a baby and doing nothing to prepare for having a baby, right? Not reading a book, not going to a class, not getting a room ready, just like, yeah, we just, we're having a baby and that day we'll have the baby and that's all we're gonna do, right? Nobody would do that. You're not moving to a new house and just go, well, it's gonna happen on moving day, right? You move into a new house, how long does it consume you that you're moving into a new house? Depends, but it's months and months. For some of us, you built homes like years. And so the Christian calendar is set up so that you have 40 days. You and I have 40 days to prepare ourselves to celebrate Easter as though it's the most meaningful event in history. Now, 40 is really significant in Scripture, right? Jesus fasted for 40 days. The children of Israel spent 40 years in the desert. That's hard to imagine, right? They, 40 years trying to learn the same lessons. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Uh, more than 120 times in the Bible, the number 40 comes up. And it's an, a number for God's beauty and completeness. And it's a really, really important number. I, I think there's a few other reasons that we struggle uh, to celebrate Lent. And then we'll get to the scripture. Let me give you one more that I think we struggle. Um, I think for many of us, even uh, with personalities that appreciate solitude, the invitation that Lent offers to solitude is difficult, even for introverts. How many of you are introverts here? You're like, that's, we had a lot of introverts in the nine uh, o'clock. How many of you are extroverts? You, just, you know you're an extrovert. That's where you get your energy. A lot more extroverts at the 11. Uh, the extroverts sleep in more, I guess. Um, um, I'm just... I'm just at that uh, introvert line, right? I'm just, I'm, I, I actually energize. I spend a lot of time outwardly focused, but I love um, my time alone. I love going to eat at a restaurant. How many of you introverts love to eat alone? Go to a restaurant and eat alone, right? It's beautiful. I love to go to a movie by myself. If you're at the movies and all of a sudden you're like, oh, poor lonely Pastor Chris, he's all by himself. I'm gonna go sit by him. Don't, I don't want you to sit by me. 
I'm having a blast. I'm so happy that I'm not around anybody. I'm an introvert. I enjoy that. But let me tell you, even introverts, we get alone and then we start to get afraid. Everybody, when I really need people, are they going to show up then? And so Lent can be painful because we're invited to be alone, to be present with our own pain and our own struggles, and it will bring up this fear. Will the people I need be there when I need them most? Will Jesus be there when I need Jesus most? And so we enter into this place a profound struggle. Isaiah 43 says it this way. And this is what I want to pray for you at Lent. God is speaking, and this is what he says. He says, watch closely. He's speaking to Isaiah the prophet. Watch closely. I'm preparing something new. It's happening now, even as I speak, and you're about to see it. I'm preparing a way through the desert. That's our Lenten journey, in these dry, dark places. And in those places, he says, water will flow where there had been none. He says, I'm going to call you into the dry desert. And I'm going to lavish you with abundance in that place. Now, Ecclesia, this is what I want you to hear. This is what Lent is about. God wants to do something new with you. And I'm just guessing, but I'm pretty sure that there's nobody here that's like, my relationship with God is so fresh and new. It's never stale. It's never dry. I don't need Lent. If you're in that place and you're like, my, God, my relationship with God is always fresh, you need to write a book about it. But the reality is for most of us, we're just so natural at getting into ruts. We do something, it just becomes a routine and we're caught in a rut. And this is what Lent does. It, it's not for you to be pious or look important or spiritual to other people. It's so that your routine can be disrupted so that God could say, don't get in a rut. I love you. I made you to be in relationship with you and to just be caught in a rut and not actually commune with me would be a really, really difficult thing. So I want to share with you, and then we're going to get to the scripture uh, today. I want to suggest to you 10 different ways um, that, uh, 10 different ways that you could celebrate Lent uh, in this season. And then we can talk about some of the things that I think uh, you could learn in those places. So this is my suggestion to you that as we go through this list, if there's something that as soon as you hear it, you kind of cringe, some of you, I can see you just like, that's your thing. It's been chosen for you. Um, and uh, some of my friends after the last service asked, is this multiple choice? Do we get to whatever you feel led to do? I just want to suggest to you some ways, um, 10 different ways that you might consider celebrating Lent. Would start on Ash Wednesday. The 40 days that prepare us for Lent don't include Sundays. So on those Sundays, we don't fast. We just worship and we um, we just live in, a, in, a, in, in the normal routine that we would be in. Here's 10 things. This is the way that uh, has become uh, one of my favorite ways over many years to celebrate Lent. And it's very simply just to eat simply as the poor would eat. So for me, what that means is that, um, is that like a kid that you may sponsor uh, internationally, um, Gratefully, when you sponsor a kid, it's part of the reason we love working with groups like Compassion International. Kids get food on a regular basis. Now, 
they don't get whatever they want. They get the staple foods for their, the place that they live. So for me, what this looks like in a Lenten journey is very simple things. It's like rice and beans, and maybe tortillas and salad. Um, just a really simple meal that you would say, this is what I'm going to eat each day for 40 days. Now, one of the reasons this is helpful for me is because um, now I get a lot of joy from food and I can actually worship God as I eat food, right? I ate some um, poke this week on Bel Air at a place that just, I had sweet and salty and I mean, just all these flavors. And I'm like, God made all this. This is amazing. This is beautiful. And you actually feel good after you eat it. It's good. But the reality is there's so much about my life because I do, I wake up every morning and before I think anything else, I think, what do I want to eat today, right? And the truth is, I often get exactly what I want. I may want barbecue, I may want Korean, I may want tacos at a very specific place. I want every kind of Mexican food. I got greasy Mexican food. I got Southwestern, you name it. And the reality is living a life where Chris gets what Chris wants is not really a great spiritual training ground. And that so often just waking up and going, this is what I'll eat today. And I can have as much of it as I need in terms of salad and rice and beans, tortillas, chicken. You can decide what your basics may be, but I think Eating simply as the poor would eat is a great way for 40 days to reconnect with God. Second one is to have um, what I would just describe as daily prayer and communion for breakfast. So this is what I'd suggest to you, is that you wake up in the morning and you make a time of prayer your priority and that your breakfast each day for 40 days would be very simply a piece of bread or toast and a little bit of juice. And every day you'd wake up and just, this is the body of Christ broken for me and this is the blood of Christ shed for me. And you have your own time of communion. And that would be a a beautiful way to spend your 40 days in that. Thirdly, depending on how much time you do this in Houston, this could have an impact. You just decide you're gonna embrace silence in the car. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you're just gonna get in the car and go, God, this is a holy space. Say to me whatever you would like to say to me. And you may have some beautiful times with God. At the very least, I hope that you curse less of the people in traffic with you. That's what I'm hoping for. At the very least, and hopefully more, that you will encounter God when you get into that sacred place of your car and you hear God and you're not distracted with the news and the politics and music, any of the rest of it. You just tune it out. Uh, Nothing's gonna happen on sports radio in this season at all anyway. So... um, (laughs) It won't be helpful or edifying, but time with God definitely could be. Okay, I'm gonna get close to home for a minute, so this is painful, just I'll see you if you flinch. Um, Just give up shopping in this season. What if the only things that you bought were things that your family would consider to be necessities? So you're out of toilet paper, get toilet paper. If you, but, If your compassion kid wouldn't be able to buy it when they go to the store and their family, you just go, I'm just not gonna buy that during this season. So for 40 days, I'm just gonna refrain from buying things other than the basic necessities uh, of our home. Again, if you flinched, you gotta at least pray about it. So um, the fifth, this would be one I'd love for you to do. 
I'd love for you to do all of these, whatever you feel led to do. What if you, for 40 days, you read the Gospel of John twice and you read a book by C.S. Lewis called Preparing for Easter. It's a great book. And C.S. Lewis has got a great way of preparing you for Easter. And over Lent, I say read the Gospel of John twice because this is what's going to happen. The second time through, you're going to see things you wouldn't normally see. So you got 40 days. If you read a couple of chapters and a little bit more every day, you could get through the Gospel of John twice. And you read C.S. Lewis's book. And I think when Easter comes, you'll just be so ready for Easter. I think it would just be such a beautiful way to celebrate Lent. Or you could identify with those across the globe that actually are grateful to have clean water and just drink only water. You could take some of the resources of what you saved on wine and coffee and soda and whatever else you drink, and you could share that to bring clean water to people. But drinking only water for 40 days could be a gift. Here's a big one. Many of our phones are now telling us how much time you're spending on your phones. I don't know if you're as alarmed as I am, but I'm like, who's stealing my phone and staying on it for hours? This is unbelievable, right? Um, Because I would never spend this much time on a device, right? So if in Lent, what if you at least just said, hey, I'm going to, if you're really hardcore, you just get rid of your phone for 40 days. If you got to work and you need to get to places, what if you just delete all apps on your phone that are not essential? What if all of a sudden your phone was just like maps and phone? (laughs) Wow. What is this thing? And for 40 days... You take the time that you might have spent doing whatever it is that the people at Apple are telling me I'm doing. I started deleting some apps a few weeks ago and it just felt so freeing because I knew if I'm going to do this in Lent, I got to wean myself off, right? Um, It might be good to start right away. Or you could decide, I'm just going to take a daily prayer walk for 40 days now, I, don't, I hope we get better weather than this. I feel like I moved to Seattle. I don't know what happened. Uh, the, what happened to Houston, Texas, the city I love this time of year. Uh, but hopefully it's going to come back to our regular sunshiny world. Uh, but rain or shine, you just take uh, a beautiful little prayer walk. Or you could give up fried foods and processed foods for 40 days. Actually just eat the food that's food. Painful to say it. And already some of you are thinking, are tortilla chips really fried? I mean, are they? They are fried. And you're thinking, like, are there any good baked tortilla chips? No, there are not any good baked tortilla chips. No. Just don't even think about it. You're, you'd just be giving it up. They're not actually worth eating. You could eat cardboard and get as much joy from it. Um, Here's the last one. Um, What if for 40 days you decided every day to give something meaningful to a friend or a stranger? What if for 40 days you just said, I'm going to give gifts? Anybody remember the joy that you've seen in your kids in those seasons that they gave a thoughtful gift and they couldn't wait to give it to somebody? They just were so, all they could think is, I'm going to give this gift. And I mean, in 40 days, you just became the ultimate gift giver to friends, strangers, family, you name it, and you gave gifts that encouraged people over 40 days, 
I think it would, what would happen to you is what happens to me in these seasons that I get to do this. And I just realized it really is so much more fun to give than it is to receive. It's not like a slogan or a super pseudo spiritual idea. It actually is more fun to give than it is to receive. So there's 10 thoughts. Give those some thoughts. How many of you kind of have a sense of, hey, I think I know what I'm supposed to do for that. Okay, a few of us. So let me read to you the scripture about what God says makes a good fast and then we'll celebrate communion together. Um, Isaiah 58 says it this way. God speaking, he says, no, what I want in a fast is this. He's already said, hey, some of these other ways you're fasting, it's like noise. You're doing these religious things that are really about you. They're not about me. So as he's in this dialogue with the prophet Isaiah, this is what he says. He says, if you really want to fast the way I want you to fast, this is what it'll look like. What I want to fast is this, that you'll liberate those that are tied down and held back by injustice that you'll lighten the load of those that are heavily burdened. That you'll free the oppressed and shatter every type of oppression. A fast for me, God says, involves sharing your food with people who have none. Giving those who are homeless a space in your home. Giving clothes to those who need them. And not neglecting your own family. God just says, if you could just share, and if you pulled back what you ate in this fast and shared the extra, the extra, it just, it'd be like fish and loaves. You ever heard that story? They just multiplied in ways they just couldn't believe it. He says, then, oh, then your light will break out like the warm golden rays of a rising sun. He says, if you'll fast like this, your, your light will be like this warm light breaking through the rising sun. In an instant, you will be healed. Isn't that amazing to think? God's saying, if you want healing, this is how you find it. If you'll fast in a way that you share with others, it'll bring healing to your own body, to your own soul. Your rightness will proceed and protect you. The glory of the eternal will follow and defend you. Now, those sound like great reasons to engage in a true fast. Paul talks about it this way in 2 Corinthians 8. Or actually, before we get to this, as you think about the things that you might fast, I want to just remind you of one of the truths from the rule of Benedict. This is a monastic way of life. This is what the rule of Benedict says. It's painful for me to read it every time. He says, nothing is so inconsistent with the life of any Christian as overindulgence. I hope somebody else is deeply convicted when they read that because for me it's just like a stab in the ribs. Because if I'm good at anything, it's overindulgence. And fasting is a time that we say, I'm gonna simplify so that overindulgence is not my way of life. This is how Paul puts it to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians. (coughs) He says, listen, It's been a year since we called your attention to the opportunity to demonstrate God's grace. See, comments of this church in Rome, we got a church and they've got a need and people are hungry and there's just not enough and maybe you guys could share your extra. 
called your attention to this opportunity to demonstrate God's grace. So here's my advice, pull together your resources and finish what you started. Now this could be any place in the world. During Lent, we ought to be thinking about these places. Our friends in Zambia, our, our friends in Venezuela, our friends in Argentina. Um, some of these places are hard. Venezuela, we're still struggling. Like, how do we get resources in? And, but I've just got to tell you, we got to be ready when we can. And what we need to do is pray and identify with their pain and suffering and not forget our brothers and sisters. We have Christian pastors. We have faithful Christian people in Venezuela. And they're just, they're just suffering. So Paul says, be ready. And pull together your resources and finish what you started. Remember how excited you were at first? Maybe the first time that you had the opportunity to share from your excess and you had this great joy and excitement. It's time to complete this task in the same spirit. Now, if there's a willingness to help, give within your means. I love this. Paul's just so practical. He says that's perfectly acceptable. No one expects you to go without or borrow to give. The objective is not to go under so that others will have some relief. The objective is to use this opportunity today to supply their needs out of your abundance. Now, Cosia, this is what we're made to do. Our life, our budget, our orientation is to do this work, to gather our extra so that we can share it. He says one day, it may be the other way around. Now, this is hard for some of us to read, though a little easier after Harvey maybe. But he says, hey, you're the helpers now. You're, you're going to be, your hand may be extended not in giving but in receiving at some point. This is how it works. We give, we receive. And they will need to supply your needs from what they have at some point. Paul says that's equality. As it is written, the one who gathered plenty didn't have more than he needed. And the one who gathered little didn't have less. Paul was quoting from this beautiful part of the story, right, where the children of Israel, they spent their 40 years, our 40 days, whatever you fast from for 40 days, will feel a lot easier. Hopefully we'll learn some of the same lessons. And they'd gather their manna. Remember, he told them exactly how much to gather, and people got a little more, a little less, but always when they put it out to share it, everybody had enough. On Friday, they gathered a little extra for Shabbat. And God always said, and they literally, manna was like, the, they didn't know the word. It's the funniest word in, in all the Bible, right? This Hebrew word for what is that? K-S-S-O, right? <laughs> literally, every time they pick it up, K-S-S-O, what is this? It's like, like when we would, uh, the closest thing I can compare it to, I mean, it's, this is not what it was like. It was actually like a bread filled with olive oil, right? It's like going to the macaroni grill. Remember when they used to have those? And then you'd have to actually dip your bread in the olive oil. This had it built in. It was like uh, a hot pocket filled with, uh, bad analogy. It's a bad analogy. It's filled with olive oil, right? Um, it wasn't a hot pocket at all. <laughs> now I'm totally distracted from where I was actually going to tell you, right? They're like, what? we don't even know what this is. Like when we were in school and they'd, they'd serve a meat, a mystery meat. Like, we don't know what it is. This is mystery meat. It, this is, it came from the sky and we gather just what we need and we have enough. And Ecclesia, there's this beautiful theme throughout Scripture. 
of gathering what we need and sharing the rest and trusting that God says, you'll have enough. What did some of those people do when they were out there? They're like, I don't believe God's gonna give us for tomorrow. I'm getting some extra. How'd it turn out? Not good. God said, I was really serious about this daily bread. Would you share your extra and trust I'm gonna give you more for tomorrow? And so Ecclesia, that's the journey we enter into for Lent. You're not gonna figure out anybody else's sins in this season. Don't bother and don't try. But you know what? If you open yourself to holy disruption, to doing some things differently, God's spirit will speak to you. And I believe he will draw you close, really close. So as we gather on Easter weekend and we celebrate the event that changed everything, the power of the resurrection will live in and through you in a different way. And so I'm gonna invite you to pray with me and we're gonna come to this table to celebrate God's grace and goodness. Lord God, we thank you that you love us enough to invite us into ways that we can be disrupted spiritually, to hear your voice, to experience your love and grace. And so God, we ask that as we prepare for this Lenten season, as Ash Wednesday comes and we enter into a 40-day journey, Lord, psychologists tell us if we do anything for 40 days, it changes our habits. And there's not one of us here that needs to develop some new habits, that we need to leave behind some old habits, that we do embrace, embrace a new reflex of turning to you first and trusting you most, of abandoning worry and embracing faith. And so God, we pray that it would be so on this journey. We thank you today, God, for this bread, this wine and juice that says to each and every one of us that we are your beloved that you love us and that you walk with us, that you promise never to leave us and never to forsake us. May we lean in with you in this season. May we see our lives more clearly. And Lord, may we grow in a confessional community where we get to see our own weaknesses and struggles and we move, we push, we offer ourselves humbly in a way that allows us to become more like you. We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.